This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. And joining me from eight minutes of madness at Villa Park, Dan Rogers from the VillaUnderground.com and Mr. Chris Budd from the Upper Holtz. Hello. Society. Hello, you fine, beautiful people. We are the finest football team once again over over the time period of eight minutes. The other the other parts of the yeah. game, they, they don't matter. Yeah, the, the symbolic it's not how 80... you start, it's how you finish, isn't it? At That's the end of it. The day. Symbolic 82 minutes, which nods to our European glory. Uh, it's, it's like just, they do. <laughs> it's like they it's do. Like a, it's like a mirror reflection now. It's just of just impotence. <laughs> Flaccid. Flaccid for 82 minutes. But that eight, eight minutes, rock solid. <laughs> Pure penetration. Pure penetration of the Sheffield United backline. Uh, well, we'll discuss this uh, epic encounter and file it on the top shelf of bizarre Aston Villa draws for Again. the season. There have been many of them. I'm going to uh, need a new shelf. The shelf's breaking, the shelf's breaking. Dean Smith is the new Alex McLeish, but in a different way. <laughs> Instead of nil-nil and one-all, it's five-fives, three-threes. Bedlam, last-minute bedlam. But we'll get into that game and also look back at uh, the two decidingly average performances against Ipswich and Reading as well. We did actually record a uh, Ipswich podcast, uh, which uh, we will chop sections out and feed them to the My Old Man Said patrons. Uh, Reading, uh, I just, just, we just couldn't 
pull ourselves off the floor of the ineptitude to uh, record something. So we packaged it all together for you in this show. So we'll talk about uh, Shuffle United in the context of those two games. We'll uh, do a three. Actually, we'll we'll use the uh, the three points from the uh, the Ipswich podcast where we go from uh, the sad to uh, to the hilarious. And we also have uh, Where Were You When We Were Good, which looks back at a Reading game that took place when Mr. O'Neill was the manager. Twenty ten. Yeah, was it FA Cup sixth FA round? FA Cup. Yeah, on the way to uh, it got us to the Wembley semi final, didn't it? Where ah, we yeah, subsequently Chelsea, got yeah. spanked. Another great comeback. Ah, yes. We were two nil down. That time we did four. See, we if we just got, started to kick on against Sheffield United when we were two nil down, we might have uh, still have won this game. But uh, hey ho! Uh, first of all, just want to announce a uh, competition where you can have a pleasure of going to Villa Park to see another high-scoring draw (laughs) against Middlesbrough on the 16th of the 3rd. And we are serving you up uh, two VIP seats uh, in a box. You get food and drink thrown in. Uh, It's suggested you get there about one uh, one to two so you can really tuck in and uh, fill your boots. They don't literally throw the food at you, by the way. (laughs) That's just a a tip. Get there early, eat, drink a lot. But uh, yeah, I can't even remember who's sponsoring this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a competition and we're running it, so whatever. It's a legit competition, by the way, and it's exclusive <laughs> to my old man said podcast listeners. It doesn't sound legit, does it? <laughs> I'm just pretending to be a listener. Yeah, we might need to work on the branding <laughs> for these prizes. <laughs> you get to watch Villa for 82 minutes and then you get to walk out in disgust. So, So these two tickets... VIP tickets, food and drink. I think they're offered up by some betting company who I've stopped actually doing anything with uh, betting companies and affiliate accounts. Uh, But the good news is here, we're not even going to mention them on this podcast. And also the other good news is you don't actually have to do anything. You don't have to sign up or follow them or or anything like that. All you've got to do is uh, just enter by listening to this podcast and all you have to do is send an email to contact at myormansaid.com with the answer to this question. At what minute in this episode of the podcast does the Superjack theme tune appear? And any regular listener to the show will know exactly what we're talking about. If this is your first time and you have been uh, tricked into listening to this podcast because you, you want to enter this competition, it's uh, the Superman theme that kicks in every time Jack Grealish is first mentioned on the show. And if you are new to this show, keep on listening for the rest of your life. Thank you very much. And subscribe if you're on iTunes, subscribe if you're on Spotify or any podcast app that you use. So just to repeat, what minute does the Jack Grealish Super Jack theme tune kick in? As long as you get it in the minute, it doesn't matter about what seconds it is. And uh, email me on contact at myomansaid.com, subject Superjack. And next week, well, the next show, we will announce the winner for two tickets to go to the Middlesbrough game on the 16th of the 3rd and get the VIP treatment. Good luck.
before we get into the show, please do become a patron and you will be privy to extra shows. First of all, there's weekly bonus shows. You might get a couple of other extras uh, in the next week or so because uh, we did have record a full podcast, which uh, we will now uh, mutilate and chop up and uh, post it in smaller pieces. Go to myomansaid.com and click on the patron option and the whole uh, on the menu bar and all the details and uh, frequently asked questions, etc. are all there or just email me if you have any further questions. So let's get into this. Three points, first of all. Dan, do you want to take the uh, the first point? Yeah, let's get the difficult one out of the way first, which is the tragedy. You can't you can't really budget as anything else of uh, Cardiff, the new Cardiff City striker Emiliano Salah's awful, awful passing, it seems, in the English Channel, travelling between Nantes and, and Cardiff directly. You know, it's a rags to riches type tale and he's a player that obviously Cardiff will, will never see grace their pitch. If you're flying out, I think half, half seven at night uh, in the summer, mm. I think... You'd get away with that one if if you had a problem with the plane, but uh, in that visibility, in the conditions, uh, and exact, you know where they were, it's it's kind of well known for shipwrecking, isn't it? Mm. So uh, it was a bit of a a no hoper there. Well, it's a bizarre one because it's not as though uh, I mean I know this from from the from the articles I've read, and it's not a direct flight, but it's one of those where you could you could negotiate the journey via either high speed train or you know an, an indirect flight the next day. So it seems it seems bizarre they they took the risk. I mean, whoever took that risk, I think it will come out to. I mean, I was thinking about this uh, the other day about the, isn't this kind of indicative of like modern football and all the money that's come in where you're now chartering planes and you're, you know, using private helicopters and obviously mm-hmm. what happened at Leicester. And this, I mean, sadly, is a byproduct of uh, the advancements in riches in the game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because a lot of teams now are flying by planes, chartered planes to games, aren't they? Even within England. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so that risk element has kind of gone up now. In terms of the football context, I mean, the only thing from a Villa point of view that I could, you know, you, you can't get close to relating to it, but uh, obviously Luke Nillis uh, is injury where we signed a striker and, and we had high hopes for him because he was part of, you know, him and Van Nistroy back in the day at Feyenoord had you know, scored ridiculous amounts of goals. And obviously he yeah. scored that great goal for Villa and then broke his leg and that was mm. career over. But uh, obviously there's a bit of a difference in terms of having your career o- over and obviously your life over. I mean, there's so many con- so many angles to this that it's that there are some unknowns and I think that there's, there's stuff ongoing. You know, let's not forget as well, there was a, obviously a pilot who lost his life as well. Aviation is so safe, but but as you were just saying, that, that with, with the amount of money in the game, that private a- aviation is actually markedly more unsafe. And yeah. you, you wonder, is that because it's this immediacy, it's this sheer wealth of I must get from point A to B as quickly as humanly possible? Yeah, you, I mean, you just got to think about how they, like, for example, on deadline day, where it's like this high adrenaline, get this player, yeah, you know, yeah. t- at this time. And, you know, they're, they're going to, you're getting into the, uh, the realms of taking risks in terms of uh, transport. Obviously, uh, sad news for all Cardiff fans. Another loss uh, of a different kind, uh, Chris Budd. Chris is still with us, by the way. I am still in the game. (laughs) This is the not really surprising news that Mr. Henri has lost his va-va-voom and been uh, removed. Dumped. Yeah, he's been dumped and uh, replaced by his predecessor, Jardin, at Monaco off the back of a 5-1 home defeat to Strasbourg. I think he's won two in... I think it's 17 games. And following that game, he'd called a, an opposition player's grandmother a whore, which didn't seem to is go that, is that is that, that legit? Is that, that is legit. legit. Is it? And uh, apparently his own players stormed into the, the boardroom and said, we can't have this. You know, 
told the uh, the boardroom to remove him. The next day he was suspended. I remember when Villa were linked with Henri. I remember reading somewhere, I can't remember if it was a player or, or a uh, journalist saying, he's crazy, don't get him. I mean, it's fair to say we've dodged a bullet. Just because he gets sacked and has a bad patch with a team that obviously, uh, let's face it, didn't have a great squad. He, everybody turns against him and ridicules him. So you never know, you know, players or managers, sorry, have a dodgy first innings uh, at some club and then go on to be great managers. I mean, look at Oli Gunnar Solskjaer and, you know, his time at uh, Cardiff was hardly uh, celebrated and it would never allude to what he's doing at Manchester United at the moment. Just one thing on this, the hilarity of him being replaced by the manager who left. Being placed on gardening leave by Mr. Mr. Garden in English is is great. Yeah, Jardin. But there is a connection here because you would have noticed that Steve Bruce started his job uh, February the 1st. Now, under closer examination, the reason for this is, and it wasn't just because he wanted to go and see the cricket, it was basically a deal with the Villa board to say if Dean Smith doesn't beat Ipswich, then uh, they'll sack Smith and <laughs> and Bruce will be back manager of Villa February the 1st. He'll be dusting ourselves down. So what you're saying is, let's just clarify here, if, if Tammy Abraham had missed that penalty and the Ipswich effort had not hit the post and gone in, yeah. Steve Bruce would have been back. Wow. Yeah. God damn go. it, Glenn Whelan. <laughs> there you go. What a, well, it was an outstanding performance from Whelan, once again influencing the direction of Aston Villa. I think Christian Perslow, the Villa CEO, referred to it as the uh, the Monaco syndrome, <laughs> where you sack a ma- <laughs> where you sack a manager and you get and, <laughs> and you get the old one back in. <laughs> it's a new thing in in, in modern football now, so yeah. watch, watch out for that. Talking about a new thing in modern football, <laughs> it's. Point number three is club owners going on Twitter. We've obviously experienced this uh, from a Villa point of view, Dr. Tony. Idiot. And his emojis and all kinds of crazy stuff. But thank God he didn't commit this heinous crime. (laughs) (laughs) Because this would have melted Villa Twitter right down to the bone. It would have been our Chernobyl, wouldn't it, really? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm referring to Notts County owner Alan Hardy, a.k.a. Big Al. <laughs> I mean, if Alan Hardy wasn't enough for you. Big Al, I want, to be known, I want to be known as Big Al. Call me Big Al. Posted a dick pic by mistake, or or shall we say a picture of his penis, which he happened to have on his camera roll. Don't you all? Of course it was a simple mistake. Uh, I mean, this out actually outdoes uh, Julian Lescott's, I think. I'd say so. On his Twitter, obviously a lot of fans uh, saw this. Much embarrassment to him. He took it down straight away. He was doing a comparison tweet using a picture of... Uh, a fa- he was basically saying how football fans are so fickle. So the first... <laughs> first <laughs> Flaccid. Flaccid, he meant. First screen grab was a fan wishing him Merry Christmas and all that kind of stuff. And then he was looking for the picture of screen grab of this fan, you know, obviously giving him uh, yeah. shit, and instead uh, put a picture of his cock up on uh We've all been there. Twitter. And the big uh, thing that it revealed was that Big Al is not really Big Al. Wasn't there someone who requested he change his Twitter handle to Small Alan? Yeah. Somebody, yeah. I thought the funniest comment was uh, hung like a slug's eyebrow. (laughs) (laughs) Which I've never heard before. But one of the unfortunate things about this uh, mishap was uh, in the same morning that he did this, he had uh, also. Posted uh, <laughs> posted a picture <laughs> celebrating the fact that he'd uh, taken pride in forming uh, a Notts County Girls Academy team 
giving over 150 girls and women a, a football pathway every week. There were pictures of like, I don't know, like two 10-year-olds. So you're mm-hmm. looking on his Twitter feed, you've got picture of two 10 year old girls and then the next picture is uh, a picture of his penis oh dear but poor old al it all uh, it just blew up in his face <laughs> blew up in his face good grief uh, he did refer to it amongst all the carnage this morning and i think carnage is a pretty good word mm. to describe it he'll be doing i'm a celebrity by next year but the danger of uh, owners where well, anybody really manager and owner of uh, a football club it you're walk, walking a tightrope there was also references to uh, caroline radford who's the ceo of uh, uh, mansfield town and so when you look on her Twitter, she's married to the owner, so she's as good as the owner. There's a picture of her on a cruiser bike on uh, the end of a jetty overlooking uh, Blue Sea in the Algarve mm-hmm. with an old Nokia phone saying, maybe taking it back to basics, but still working on deals. Watch this space. Old school Nokia. I mean, how did you window. take the Instagram photo? It wasn't on a Nokia. No idea. Good point. Mm-hmm. And post it as well. And then there's another sh- shot, and it's, it's hashtag match day, hashtag good vibes, hashtag Mansfield Town FC, and it's entitled High Tides and Good Vibes, and there's a picture of her in a bikini. You can't see much of the tide there. Mm. And it's not like a, I'm just wearing a bikini. It's a, it's a suggestive posed uh, shot as well. Mm. Preferable maybe to the dick pic. But it's just, you know, owners... It's a long way from Keith Wyness as well. I, I mean, if they have to have a barometer of um, CEO... Mm. But I'm just I'm just glad Christian Perslow is uh, not on Twitter. Or, uh, I mean, we, 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 we will await the dick pic. <laughs> Put it on the wish list. We can stick it on a T-shirt then. Yeah, if I was them, I, I would uh, stay off. Uh, <laughs> it's probably advisable, isn't it? Regardless of being in, in a bikini doing a suggestive uh, pose. But if you had a CEO in the Algarve on a match, hashtag match day, yeah. that would uh, that would throw up enough uh, toxicity straight away. Sure would. I think that's the main gripe there is uh, to be seen on holiday on a match day. I think at the moment Mansfield are in uh, one of the automatic promotion spots. That's weird because I saw a Villa player on holiday on a match day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was at Birmingham Airport, wasn't it? It was, wasn't old, it? Old Johnny Codge. Hey, hey, I won't have any Ill, Ill will spoken about my good friend D- Jimmy Danger. Right, anyway, let's get into the Villa business. Right, Sheffield United, uh, going into the game, uh, we just obviously played two of the bottom three teams, uh, beat Ipswich 2-1. Not exactly convincing. Uh, we should have seen them off uh, when we were 2-0 up. And then obviously the trip to Reading, where I think we, we hardly had a shot on target, did we? But anyway, uh, I had reservations about Villa's chances but I was just kind of hoping that previously they they needed a, a more of a challenge to kind of let's say step up and I was hoping Sheffield United uh, would spark Villa into life but the players were just they played as if with the same intensity as they did against Ipswich and Reading and it started off very flat until those last eight minutes what, what was you feeling uh, I don't know when the second one went in and then obviously the third one uh, I'm surprised uh, you, you stuck around uh, until the end Dan Rogers how was I feeling it felt like deja vu, didn't it? And, and I, yeah. you know, I'm happy for people to look back at the the timeline uh, timeline on my on, on Twitter. It, it was it was a 
it felt like as bad as it had been for a long time. For I called it a shambles. I mean, well, over eighty minutes, I suppose, until until as you say, we came to life. It was we were listless, and when we did try and get the ball forward, do, do you know it was the comparison between us and Sheffield United. It, they seemed to break on us like so many teams do so quickly, and it put us in. We seemed to be in absolute disarray at the back as well when the ball did get. get yeah, and notice when Villa attacked them, they had two midfielders entrenched right in front of their back four. And they were so yeah. tight, they sque- they they shut down all the spaces. I mean, this is kind of rudimentary, um, well-organized lower league teams. You shut down all the spaces on the inside. You play two midfielders as close to your, you know, centre backs. And Villa never com- committed anybody into the box with any conviction. So you you know you're looking at that uh, Villa attack uh, transpire, and you've got like eight Sheffield United players in the in the penalty box, and like two Villa players floating around. And the odds are. You know, those Villa players aren't going to get the ball. Go to the other end and Sheffield United, when they attack, they attack with a, you know, with a wave. They always had four or five players and there'd be two or three at least always arriving in the box against the same amount of Villa defenders because our midfielders weren't getting back mm. with any uh, urgency. So it was pretty obvious how the game was going to pan out, you know, from an early, you know, from the first 20 minutes or so. Well, I'm saying until the madness at, uh, at the end kicked in. But that came out, and that point came out of nothing, did it? Yeah, they were, they were robbed, let's be honest. Villa didn't deserve... I mean, you could argue Sheffield United couldn't defend, as most teams in this division can't. But for the majority of that game, Villa were second best it was almost like watching us the year we went down it was mm. that clueless the a few of the guys who sit by me were saying the same that you know you never mind getting played off the park by a far superior side yeah. Sheffield United played well but I wouldn't have said there was any standout players in their team obviously Sharp got the goals but there was no standout star we thought oh he's yeah, running I mean, the game mm. they're just a really well-oiled unit apart from Sharp I don't think many Villa fans would name any of their players that they would say no. oh yeah we wouldn't mind them in our team yeah they were just really workmanlike. It was a different feeling to when when Leeds were there, wasn't it? Where you <clears throat> you're yeah. looking at some of their players and you thought, well, he's you know he's as you say, Chris, the standout player. Yeah, but I just can't think of a game where to touch on the points you've both made. Where not only did it come out of nothing, I, I'm struggling to recall in in games I've physically been at such a collapse from such a position of absolute security. Yeah. You know, they, they they didn't just fall apart. They got the, the entire game turned on its head. And that's why the, the 82 minutes that came before it almost defy belief because it, that we were so bad. It, it, I'm, I'm struggling to find adjectives, actually. Sheffield United, it was a couple of times when they had it wide when they were 3-0 up, obviously, eight minutes to go. And they could have, you know, killed the game and done the game management. And mm. I think there was one time where the guy was going to go for it. He had nobody around him, but... But he's, you know, they, they, I think they thought Villa had been so abject that, you know, they might as well mm, carry mm. on and see if they can get four or five and, you know, put us to the sword because we really had offered nothing. And, you know, people are saying great spirit. I, I don't think there is that great spirit. I just think they got we got lucky with the first one because their keeper made a howler. And it just seemed every time we got it in the box, uh, they, they kind of uh, boo-booed it up. I mean, their goalkeeper ultimately had a mare. You know, he had very little to do all game. And he's somehow walking off the field, having picked the ball out of his net three yeah. times. You know, if, if I was a, tra- a travelling Sheffield United fan, you'd be ra- you'd be absolutely raging at them. You know, I mean, the, the last goal you put you put it in the stand, and you either take a touch and you smash yeah. it out, and it's game over. Yeah, I think there's I think there was obviously more spirit in say the, the Forest game when we're two 0 down early doors, and then you, then it's basically two teams going toe to toe, and you know both teams show a lot of yeah, spirit. Yeah, we showed we showed a lot more quality, didn't we? As yeah, well this this game, I think we just we got lucky a lot of the time, and. Uh, it's kind of alarming. You just hope that 
the way the game panned out, it actually uh, sparks a few people into life because the last, you know, we, we were yeah. unlucky in moments though too. I think that, that I, I do agree with what you what you say there, but their, their second goal should should never have stopped. Well, I mean, and... I was talking uh, before we we switched on uh, with Chris about about this, and it's mm. one of those where if you've got VAR, then the goal doesn't happen, but mm. because that ball was. It was like a split second. Is it in his hands? Does he have control of that ball? You, you can't even tell on the replay. But if you had VAR, you kind of give it the benefit of the doubt. But it's such a 50-50 one where you, you kind of excuse it whichever way it goes. I think in a live situation, you can, yeah, yeah. In a live situation where they where they don't have the benefit of uh, video replay, it, it's, it's you know, one of the most 50-50 ones you can have. As I said to you earlier, I think it's one of those goals. And from start to finish, you know, it, that whole goal came from us going from one end of the field, mm. Kodja throwing himself to the floor. Mm. Some people said it was a penalty. I didn't think it was. Um, and then we were just sloppy. I thought the McGinn fouls it was a penalty. I don't don't know. Yeah, and and apparently Mings was definitely that. That was a proper tug, and it was right in front of the referee. And those have been given all day long. Did did we? You know, did did we get the breaks? I think what what you you saw with Villa in in that game was they came out in the second half and they started okay, but then the second goal you could just see the confidence just drain out of the team as soon as they got the second. It was game over. You just thought, oh wow, we've we've tried to get up ahead of steam. And we've given away another stupid goal because, regardless of you know whether there's an offside decision or whether the ball's in the goalkeeper's hands, Villa haven't reacted to that goal at all. I mean, the whole you know the, the cross coming in is dreadful, and the third goal is an appalling goal to concede. So yet again, Villa have scored three goals at home and conceded three absolutely. Yeah. It's just dreadful. You know, the more they look at them on the training ground, they'll you know they'll be just head in hands, which is unfortunate because actually I thought the the, the two centre backs actually played quite well. I thought Mings actually had a really good game and he looked mm. really assured in possession, but unfortunately the two full backs gave him no yeah. protection and the midfield three were absolutely and, and Mings had a good game against Reading as well. Uh, I mean some some of mm. his long yeah. balls are actually I mean he, he sprayed one from left to right. He's very assured yeah, one from it? left to right and it was it was you know dropped it on a pinhead. It was uh, it was a fantastic ball. Uh, yeah. and we'll just cover off quickly the stamp from that Reading game well since we've mentioned Mings. Um, I mean the only thing it's, it's the same it's a bit like that goal uh, that their second goal it's it's one of those where there's just no conclusive proof either way that you can't you know you you can't put a million pounds on it and say that is definitely uh, what happened there. When when it when people are saying, oh, was there intent or not? I mean, when I watched the game, I didn't even. I think none of the players reacted or anything. When you you know when something's intended, it kicks off straight away, and and you know it's somebody stamped on somebody's head, or mm. or there's some malicious intent, should I say? But the only thing, the first time that I was triggered, something was happening just when the player was you know stood up and he had all blood coming down his face. And it was only uh, when the video broke on Twitter that it, in that picture that it all kind of kicked off. As always, it's you know these super slow mo videos all make everything look bad in in every sport. Mm. I think what you, everyone would agree was the whole that passage of play was just you know he's a big a big lad and it was just very clumsy. Unfortunately, though, when you've got a six foot four, six five, you know, I think unit yeah. of a guy, six five unit of a guy falling on top of you, mm. it's going to hurt wherever you get. Landed on it just, and you know, the guy's actually very lucky that it wasn't Gangly in his eye. legs as well. I mean, I suffer from the same thing, but I think I've got a bit more poise yeah, than yes. Mr. Mings. The only thing I didn't like about the whole thing was just Villa fans 
some Villa fans actually trying to prove that Mings had intent and whining. Mm. He said, oh, how can that not be uh, intent? And, and putting up stills of Mings looking at the guy's uh, head, which, I'm, I'm sorry, but when you put your foot down, you, you normally put your head down where the foot's going. And you can take a freeze yeah. frame on anything and well, say, look, this proves it. Were the same people who were calling for Smith's head? No, not necessarily. It's uh, I'm, I'm booing Glenn Whelan. <laughs> you know, it's virtue signaling or, or whatever and that's what that's where it gets lost isn't it? it gets you you open something out to the social media sphere and i'm afraid it becomes everyone becomes a a forensic analyst of of body language yeah. of, and they want to get a reaction uh, well and the thing is you watch it you watch it in live time like you like you said david and, and it's one of those that you you could easily have, have missed yeah. it and i think that you, it loses the narrative not just in social media but also in i understand the guy's got a bad injury but the pathetic instagram posts for him from him and his girlfriend like he's been some sort of victim yeah. of, you know he's he's, he's sustained an, an injury well. I, I feel very dreadfully sorry for him from that but as you said it's inconclusive did he have intent i think there's enough reasonable doubt to say that it was clumsy yeah. did he mean to do that to him no i, I don't see that at all no and when you it's the same you know the same frame of mind of villa this is what's worrying you know villa fans like when uh, tammy abraham was rumored to be going to wolves it's like oh yeah he owes us nothing mm. he should go to wolves uh, yeah good luck to him he should be playing premier league football Jack Grealish going to Spurs. Oh, he owes us nothing. You know, he should go to better himself. It's like, who the fuck do you support? Because you should be supporting <laughs> Aston Villa <laughs> five year, five and wanting club. the best for that. If Mings is 50-50 in terms of intent, why are you waving a big flag and go, look at this, look at this, his intent. You should ban him, you should ban him. You know, what's the thought process here? If he did intent, if he just walked up to him and stamped on his head, then you go, get that prick out of our club, fair enough. But when there's no solid evidence of intent, why are you screaming for his head? It doesn't make any sense. Why are you wishing that Jack Grealish moves away? Why are you wishing that uh, Tammy Abraham, you know, patting him on the back and saying, good luck at Wolves? Liverpool... Luis Suarez, he's biting people, he's being called being, being called racist, you know, and they defended him to the death against any other they were fans. Entrepreneurial, they did they did t-shirts. They did t-shirts, they celebrated it. <laughs> Anything, he was the victim. And then he fucked off. <laughs> we we would we would love to do uh, Ming's the merciless t-shirts with a with a picture of him stamping on his head, but that that would be in bad taste. But uh, there's this weird mentality. I don't think you get promoted if you You've got such a flaky, uh, flaky fan base, and I mean, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll say that straight off. We've got to be pulling in one direction altogether. And if somebody isn't uh, guilty, you don't try to make him out to be guilty if he's on your own bloody team. I wouldn't want these people in the trenches with me in uh, in the Third World War when it comes around. <laughs> and it's on the way. way. Yeah. Right. Anyway, that's enough <laughs> of the uh, that that's uh, the stamping incident. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So I think Mings could be the best, one of the best transfers in terms of uh, this season. I mean, long term, who knows? But uh, so far, so good with Mr. Mings and Elphick as well. I mean, I was told uh, going back to January that Chester potentially was, was going to have a, a proper operation and he'd be out for the season potentially and so that's why he's been playing you know because we had actually no center backs and obviously two and zebi went we didn't actually have the cover so they kind of i think they tossed the coin and uh decided that he should play on through injury and elphick's not coming back unless he knows he's going to be playing so you can you know imagine with that in context they're saying to elphick look we're going to get some left footers left left footers in you're going to play on the right hand side uh once we get them in and if Elphick's thinking it's 50-50 that would be getting games. I don't think he'd come back from Hull. He would, I think he would fight that decision. I, I wouldn't expect Chester to be uh, rushed back anytime soon. It's about this, a bit like the Grealish one, where they don't really tell you, uh, oh, yeah, he might be back next week, you know, two months later. He's still out. So I don't think we'll see a lot of Chester. What do you got to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> the interesting one, actually, I was thinking walking out the ground, was they may never actually get to play together, but the prospect of Tyrone Mings, who is strong and athletic and can actually play football, and Twan Zabi as a partnership. Ooh, yeah. If you've got them together... And a full pre-season, they could be a force. Yeah, unfortunately, they. I don't think it's both of them are, aren't <laughs> our players, so uh, that's a bit of a problem. Yeah. Which is a shame, actually, because you could see someone like Mings building himself up to be a bit of a captain. I'm, I'm happy with Elphick and Mings. If that was now our solution to our defence going forward, and we were playing the way we were playing when uh, when Dean Smith first took over, but it's now the rest of the team that's all over the shop. It doesn't have a intensity. It doesn't have a, a kind of a consistent pattern. Uh, it doesn't seem to know what it's doing. I mean, we were kind of. Uh, lucky let's say against Sheffield United we were toothless against Reading and against Ipswich that game shouldn't have gone down to the wire it should have been out of sight uh, early doors no, Ipswich were woeful weren't they to be fair and it, don't we seem incredibly unbalanced in the in the middle of the pitch and I think he's found himself with this in part inherited very unbalanced Villa team I think we've already mentioned how the fullbacks I think it, you know if, if you genuinely had the opportunity to to bring in two more you would yeah, permanent permanent players, but the middle the middle feels it doesn't feel natural like against against Sheffield United. Yedinak had one of the the worst individual performances in a Villa shirt that I can remember. You know, and and it it, it shackles other players. Players like Hurahan are, are impacted as a result. McGinn, as we've said many times, can't do the job of three and four players. And you know, even when you swap, it was interesting to see the change in how Villa Villa's style when when Whelan came on and and actually started spreading the ball around. The the, the game turned on its head. It was a, a bit odd, really. He gave us some control, and it's you know it's, we've been using this word mm. 
know for week every time we've been on the podcast that Villa want to play a controlled possession game, but that you haven't seen them do it for weeks. No, no, and we seem incapable of doing it. And do you think as well? And it's something that because I don't think Al Ghazi came into the game at Sheffield United until quite late on. Really, I yeah. think he struggled to see the ball. He overhit passes. He, it, Similar to his like the previous games uh, against Reading, where he's, he's yeah. kind of ineffective. He, he gets the ball and there's expectation, but then you know he doesn't. He either runs into. Uh, traffic or he just he just makes the wrong decision Horahan I've been watching and off the ball I, I don't rate him at all no and he, he ball watches he, he kind of follows the ball and and that's why there's you know midfielders running in behind him because he's not he's not actually tracking him or you know basically saying that's my man if he's uh you know coming anywhere near the the 18 yard box and some of his passing uh today was a bit wayward I mean he's uh yeah. I think he had a, you know, a, a bad game, but as per usual, he, get, you know, he got his usual assist with the corner. Yeah, I mean, overall, he, he, I mean, his completion rate was at 88.7. Only Whelan topped him, and obviously uh, Whelan was only on uh, for you know 25 minutes. Uh, Yedinax uh, was way, way down at 63.4. It was, la- it was like laughably bad, wasn't it? And, you know, he was, the first goal, I think he was all over the shop as well. And, you know, on that, you know, on that delivery, you know, for defending set pieces, not was normally the kind of mainstay of Yedinak's game. Why he was, why Bruce favoured him so much? Just mm. and and you know, statistically, he was always way, way, way ahead. In aerials, one I think is the uh, statistic. Yeah, I mean, you'd have thought because of the way. I mean, Whelan played reasonably well at Reading. Yeah, he had a good game solid. against Reading. I thought. And so you kind of think, well, Yedinak must have come in for something tactically and he didn't really look great under the high ball, which he normally does. He was a liability in possession. And because of the, you know, Sheffield United's movement was really good. Yeah, they had a plan yeah. and they stuck to it both defensively and attacking wise. And he just got run because I mean over. they they had so that's yeah, they attack, player in defensive. They attack with enthusiasm, don't they? And and Yedinak just didn't yeah. you know didn't have the sparkle to keep up with it. No. And we got into positions down the, the right hand side, you know, we managed to at times pin Ender Stevens back, who I thought had a, a reasonable game for them. And um but the amount of times we got into positions and you just thought, you know, when Codger did it, he was guilty of it on a number of occasions. Al Ghazi was as well, and Hutton is never really known for it. But we didn't just get our head down, get to the bar on and cross it, which is one thing while he, he had a bad run over Christmas, at least with someone like El Mohammadi, he'll get it out of his feet and he'll just deliver. Yeah. It's a very simple player. And you know, someone like Abraham thrives on that. You know, it's no coincidence that when we actually got the ball into their penalty area, we actually caused them problems. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Abraham's been seeing enough uh, in terms of opportunities in the last few games. I mean, he had one He had one sort of meaningful touch of the ball in the game, in the Sheffield United game yeah. and scored. He had a very, very quiet game, but you know, he's... You know he's obviously got his record, and it's you know the twenty goal target has now been broken. And I think he's I think he's going to need forty to get us promoted <laughs> because Quite the amount possibly. of goals we concede and the fact that we're going to have to win a hell of a lot of games. They're obviously looking at the long game now for Smith because I can't see promotion. I mean, just the performances of those last two games against Reading and Ipswich. I mean, you, they they got four points. Should have been six. They got four points, and people are going, "Oh, four points off the playoffs." But you know, other teams have got a game in hand, and there's a lot of teams. And we've got to play all of the top. You know, the top six have all got to come to Villa Park, haven't they? The way we perform for those eighty-two minutes, it's, you just know that against bigger, you know, better teams like Sheffield United. I mean, we were lucky to get away with a point there. The next six games, four of them are away, and you mm-hmm. know, we're talking Brentford. Where we normally get uh, smashed, smashed. <laughs> <three> Stoke <laughs> Blues. We haven't beaten the Blues for a couple of years, at least. Uh, we haven't beaten them at St Andrews since we've been in the Championship, have we? No. 
And we've got Forest as well. That could go any any which way. And then the two home games are tough ones against West Brom and Derby. You know, two teams, especially Derby, will be looking for a bit of revenge. So you're telling me we'd probably need to win four of those six to uh, be in it. And have we suggested that we're going to win four of six games? I can't see it. No, I mean, we, you know, we, we mentioned earlier, you know, we're, we're looking at a position where we have to go on a run against the big yeah. teams. Yet, as I said, the, the start earlier, against the bottom 10 sides... We've taken 19 points from a possible 42. Yeah, and that's why we're not getting promoted. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that's relegation yeah. form. Because you look at you look at that run of fixtures. We're almost, um, you know, in the run up to December, we were looking at that group of fixtures, saying, "Oh, this is going to be our our test." And this is almost the second test as as to whether it's yeah. it's actually a harder test because I think that we need to win enough games in in amongst that group of fixtures that you mentioned, and, and obviously I, we've got the benefit of looking a little bit further forward in the fixture list here to stop this season drifting into something genuinely anonymous if we don't yeah. galvanize ourselves and, and have a bit of fight and that's why you know the last 10 10 15 minutes uh, to drag ourselves to a draw at Sheffield United so that is our last so strange really but it's our last chance of a spark now I, I mean it, it, it is and and you know this isn't just about consolidating a position we've actually got to make up ground on teams yeah like you say, there's some with and that's the big thing that you're not going to achieve that by going win draw draw loss here and there you know scraping another draw you've you've got to go on long sustained not just unbeaten but winning runs and if they do that that well look you've just reeled off a, a group of teams that represent you know then they're not games that we've been winning anyway and we've struggled against teams or we just have we simply haven't taken t- points off the teams that are clinging on to this division you know, look back to Wigan Wigan were a team who could beat no one, could score yeah. against no one, and that was they an abject, absolute disaster. And because as a football fan, you always have this innate optimism that your team can make it if we get a run together. And but when you just in the cold light of day lay the evidence out of the season, and Wigan is a massive uh, example, as 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 is you know the last eleven games and just the performance levels of the last three to bring it up to date to this podcast. It's you just. Mm. Even with rose-tinted spectacles, only a fool will believe that playing like that's going to get you anywhere. I mean, I haven't been particularly impressed with the way we've played since the first half against yeah. Leeds. And even then, we didn't actually play particularly well. We were just very... Yeah, if, if somebody says, uh, if you watched that game but didn't actually see the goals and somebody said uh, Leeds are 2-0 up, you go, yeah, they probably deserve that at half time. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, but we had the chances to make it three, and that's that was the thing. Sometimes you don't have to yeah. play, you know, perfect to win a game. The fact that we were two 0 up against Leeds, and that was the first time that, and that was, I mean, I've, we've said it before, but that was when you knew we weren't going to get automatic promotion straight away. Yeah. Yeah. And it seemed to suggest that we weren't going to get promotion full stop. Uh, I just want to move on uh, to talk about, in the context of uh, the rest of the season, the transfer window and how we look now as opposed to before January the 1st. If you line it up and look at the actual uh, transfers, I think we've lost a bit of sparkle on paper, at least. When when you're losing like Hogan and Balassi and who we replaced them with uh, in terms of weapons going forward there's just uh carol really and he's been out since uh september october and he's injured again well every time uh we signed a player this winter and he just had you know had a look uh you know what's been happening in his career most of them have been out for a season 
or, mm-hmm. or have had a chronic injury. <laughs> yeah. There was a theme. So that goes with Ming's, uh, Courtney House as well. Obviously, Tom Tom Carell's obviously been a bit more recent in terms of his injury. You know, I would like to say, well, this window's one for the future, but it isn't because most of them were loans anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, only really Frederick uh, Gilbert is the only one that has any forward planning about it. So it's going to be really starting from scratch, but actually not having bought in players with an eye for the future. It literally is to the drawing board. Someone someone replied to, I did a, a piece after the, the Reading draw around here and it, it sort of picked up on some of the themes of what we're talking about now with the, the transfer window. That I, I'd said that Villa looked like a team in transition and, and someone wrote to me to say that it's actually worse than that, but for the reasons that you've been saying, because it's not like we own many of these players. These players are probably going regardless of whether we yeah. somehow fathom a promotion or, or whether we stay in the division. And so what we've got is it's 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 a bigger problem than transition because the, the, those people, are you can already disregard them. You know, you're in this constant churn. The only thing I would say about the transfer window overall is, beyond what we're mentioning about loans, is, is that it felt, it felt like we were perhaps getting knocked back behind the scenes. I, I just wonder whether we had lots and lots of feelers out and, and I, you know, there's a little bit of duplication with the Courtney House and, and Ming's thing and you wonder, well, was that just that those sort of, did they come up together? Did, were they not expecting to get one or the other? Yeah. Tom Carroll from, from Swansea seems like a very much a last minute. Uh, well, he said... Who, who else have you got? <laughs> type of yeah, question. but he did say uh, in his interview, I mean, obviously uh, people say things just to appease mm. the fans uh, or, or they're actually told to say things to appease the fans. And, you know, they made a point that this conversation had been three or four weeks. Mm. You know, you're very naive, not you, sorry, but just generally anybody would suggest that Tom Carroll would, uh, Villa suddenly thought, oh shit, there's an hour to go. Oh, what about Tom Carroll? Quick, give him a ring. <laughs> They obviously, they scout players over weeks and months and um, take a look at them and obviously have a list and uh, they go through the list. Obviously, uh, there's preferences. So obviously they got down to Tom Carroll and I would say that it was actually they finally triggered it at the end because, you know, X, Y and Z didn't uh, come through because obviously Tom Mm. Carroll's been out. And that was one of the things that we needed players for the now to basically shake us by the scruff of the neck and get us back for one last ditch effort at the uh, the playoffs and we've seemed to have got players that they needed matches just to get match fit and really we're not in that position we need uh, we need straight out of the box players and uh, you just look at what we got you know, Courtney House uh, Tyron Mings actually actually is you know he's He's playing well and contributing. Tom Carroll, as you said, got injured straight away. Frederick Gilbert just said, "Oh, I can't bear it now. Can you can you can you give me a few months and just to get mentally adjusted to the fact that I have to play for Villa?" <laughs> <laughs> he'd rather he'd rather be in a relegation battle in France. <laughs> yeah. I, I think this relegation battle in France would give me enough the character I need to uh, to survive at Villa Park. <laughs> Always stitching them up, going, no, it's all right, you'll be fine with Alan but, Hutton. But just <laughs> uh, be, just one fine. quick thing, like the Mings, is it the Mings where we have this option to match the best bid yeah, of anybody? Yeah, that's great. My mind is uh, Tyron Mings, if he super impresses for Villa, Villa don't get promoted and any, you know, say of the lower half uh, and the promoted teams uh, from the championship in the Premier League decides, uh, yeah, we would like Mings, he's going to go there because they just outbid Villa. Yeah, yeah. Of course they will. So that's as simple as that. So, you know, they're slapping their, you know, high five and saying we've got this kind of option to buy thing, which uh, I think that's what it is. It's just that if they got promoted 
and he played really well, then they'd have a chance, obviously, because they'll have the money to uh, bid. And uh, he would be uh, in a mind to stay with Villa if he's had a good time and obviously contributed. But if he hasn't, if he's played well and we haven't gone up, then obviously he's going to be looking, sniffing upwards rather than uh, in the quicksand of the championship. Well, he might be, but to be honest, from the way his career's gone with Bournemouth, I don't think he'd get a move in the Premier League. Yeah, but he's he's now got a shop window, hasn't he, essentially? Oh, what do you mean? So that's like if he plays, say, the next 20, 25 games and uh, doesn't break down? and Yeah, and he plays really well, yeah, then yeah, uh, yeah. He, he might get, he's going to resurrect his uh, his chances of getting back in the well, Premier he becomes, League. It becomes appealing to a team that maybe gets promoted or is, is scrabbling around exactly, the bottom, yeah. doesn't it? Because he'd be, he'd be relatively inexpensive in the grand scheme of, of things you'd have thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but uh, you know, uh, I stand by what I said before that, you know, I don't think with, with loan players that we can even, uh, I'd have been sad to have seen Abraham go, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't have been crying into my pillow at night. It's, it's yeah. footballers are, are transient and largely mercenary anyway. But but we haven't got, we haven't got like, for example, Fulham got the f- final, they were, they started to get their shit together uh, at the end of, back end of the year. And then, in January, they got Mitrovic, who was the missing link. Mm. Do, you, do you not think the difference between us and Fulham at this time last year is? I, I think that Fulham Fulham started slowly, but they were already on a trajectory, weren't they? And like you say, they were putting the final pieces in the jigsaw puzzle. We we arrived into January having already gone out and sealed a goalkeeper because we, we were, it was such a desperate need for one. That was a good news move, and I think he's starting to settle in. I think that our main bit of business was was actually perhaps keeping hold of of Abraham and, and, and rearranging our defence, have you know, the, re, the recall. Just to reframe that, what I'm saying is Fulham got a signing that kicked them on more to to get them over the line in the mm. for the players, where we, there's no impetus. You know, we haven't got somebody in that's like changed the way we look at the, uh, the, the situation of the rest of the season. We're just kind of... Get, like that Mitrovic type figure. Yeah, exactly. We're, I mean, we've lost the potential spark of Balassi, who I think we even said on this podcast that he would, if he got his act together, he would feature the second mm. half of the season would be where he would come into play. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, obviously he's disappeared and we've been denied that. That, at the time when we discuss it was one of the reasons why we still thought we would and we're you know we're going back now to like say november time be a real deal in the in the uh the final uh, furlong because we would have balassi having had 20 odd games under his belt and actually getting back to uh his best that made him a 20 plus million player that's gone we don't have that squad depth up front of uh scott hogan and again you, you're hoping that he would find some form and kick in so for example if abraham got injured we'd be sh- mm. i wouldn't fancy our chances of you know finishing above no. mid table uh, with if he disappeared yeah. i think that's a good bit of business shifting shifting hogan on. i think you've that's a, a, a nothing lost there for us in, in the sense that like you say even if, if abraham were to get injured and you slotted hogan in he's not suddenly going to become a 25 goal but so what, what about of, the, of the is, is chris bud still there what do you think here. about the the argument and i think it is a valid argument about giving one of our strikers to i would say promotion rival but maybe that's what oh, you do read my website david Sorry? <laughs> you do read my articles occasionally. Though. No, no, no. This is just general uh, common sense. <laughs> it's not general. It's on me. It's Twitter. Me. But giving uh, Hogan to a rival, like, well, it's, you know, mm. generally, do you loan players in the same division to one of your rivals? I mean, we're obviously getting ahead of ourselves here and saying we're actually a rival for promotion, which uh, that's probably. <laughs> well, we have, essentially, we that's have That's probably why we let him go because. 
Dean Smith's probably thinking, what, what do you mean Sheffield United are rivals? When, you know, I've never finished higher than ninth. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think we're, I don't think we're trying to, uh, we're not chasing down Sheffield United in third. I think if we're, the only position we're aiming for is maybe sneaking into sixth. That's the best yeah, we can do. going to take a fucking miracle when you look at the fixture list. <laughs> not to piss on anybody's parades, uh. I, in terms of Hogan, I just, I just, I'm completely neutral about it. I just think, do you know what? He needed game time, as so many other players did. The frustrating thing, as you said earlier, was the fact that we're giving players who also needed game time have come in who are meant to improve yeah. us, and that's a little bit. People like how, you know, Courtney Hauser, for example. You just think when you bought Mings, and you think, well, where's he going to fit in? You know, is he going to be a left back? I don't quite see. I'll tell you what we have done though, is we, we've shifted so many of those you, you know, youthful fringe players out yeah. on loan. Who, who that which was the right it, thing absolutely, to do. Absolutely. I think that you, Especially for next yeah. season, because they might be called upon, you know, the sort of your door hazes, O'Hare. Yeah. You know, instead of them rotting uh, in the under twenty-threes, I just I was actually quite surprised that Hogan didn't stay and Keenan Davis didn't go and get games. Uh, on, on just on the subject of Hogan, uh, the narrative was He's Dean Smith's former player. He's going to get the best out of Scott Hogan. The mm. uh, way it played out, obviously, that hasn't really materialised. And in the same breath, you could say, well, he's sent him to Sheffield United because he's got nothing to worry about. He's he's not worried about Hogan playing for somebody mm. else. Mm. I don't think there's no guarantee that Hogan's going to play there. I mean, you look at Billy Sharp, yeah, he's a goal he, machine, and you look at he didn't get on the brick. He hasn't he score goals. You don't. There's no guarantees Hogan's going to no, get anywhere near that starting the, line. Uh, Scott Hogan touch count for last week was zero because he didn't come off the bench. And no, nope. and I think he's probably going to have to get used to that role. He's going to have to bide his time. So I think and stay fit. You know, his fitness record. I think he's, he's probably in terms of game time. We'll probably get the same amount. Uh, as if he stayed at Villa, potentially, I'd agree. With, I'd agree with that. So transfer window, I don't. It's it's an odd one because a it was all a bit late, but the purpose of it, it hasn't. There's a few players there that obviously they're having a look at, but there's a lot, as we've said, players that aren't fit to hit the ground running out straight out of the box. Players that are going to help us in the promotion run. It's it's kind of a weird one. We are definitely turning into like some kind of rehabilitation centre. <laughs> the new Lillishaw. Yeah, exactly. Or the Priory. <laughs> to a certain extent, he's kind of recalibrated the squad in terms of balance. You know, would push that one forward because at least with Mings in the house, you've got a bit more presence on the left of the defence. You've got more like for like, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, if anything happens to Taylor, at least you can put Mings out there. I mean, a lot of people were were speculating that he was play, was going to be left back, but uh, I think the reason why he transitioned into a centre back after Ipswich was that uh, you don't get that many uh, six foot five left back bombing down the line. No, I was about to say he's good. He plays well, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah he's fan- some fantastic uh, distribution. Well, I'd, yeah, I'd definitely venture he's better as a fullback than uh, Carlos Cuellar or Olaf Melberg, for example. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> One thing I'd say from the, the transfer window is ultimately we've been trying. You, I don't think Villa or indeed any team in that division are in. A, none of them are in a position to go out and replace like for like a player like a Grealish. Mm. You can't do it, unfortunately. You know, you're not going to go and buy. A twenty-five million pound midfielder. You mentioned Grealish for the first time. Sorry, I've almost forgot. There's a competition. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned. Well, they have to yeah. listen to the whole In show terms now. Of Grealish at the moment, who's going to trigger that release? Supposed release clause of forty million. Nobody, I would venture. I don't see it. I don't see that. He would probably put in a transfer request at the end of the season if we're not going up. 
but uh, it's not going to be a 40 million job. There'll be, you know, there'll be uh, teams haggling over it. When Dean Smith says, oh, the best player in the championship, I'm like, well, he hasn't proved it. On, on his day. On on his day in like five minutes, but he, he hasn't done, he hasn't backed it up with the stats. Or- no, if I was a you know, Premier League supporter of the, you know, the calibre of the clubs that he's being touted at, first thing you'd say, well, is he, is he consistent this season? not compared to the second half of last season. And, and the, the most important thing is for a £40 million supposedly asset that you're going to buy, I think for, for his age, he's yet to yeah. play a whole season. Mm-hmm. He still hasn't actually managed to get through a whole season without yeah. breaking down. You know, in the last two seasons, he's had two serious injuries. Because you know, he's only had two goals, four assists, is that correct? Something like that. Which, considering he's meant to be the best player in the championship and he's playing essentially as an attacking midfielder with a licence to get forward, is is pretty crummy. I mean, like last season, he's going to have to end the season fantastically, but there's no guarantee he'll just hit the ground. Yeah, right? and you know, Villa weren't exactly uh, unbeatable when he was in the team. No, same as you know, Twanzabi as well. I don't think it would have changed that much because... Just the intensity of the players at the moment is it's lacklustre. The, the big one for me, the Sheffield United game, unfortunately showed that quality aside, Sheffield United yeah. wanted it more. They ran harder, they fought more, they tackled harder. They just they saw that game as a huge opportunity, and they'll class it as a big opportunity missed. But they wanted it way more than Villa. You could tell that teams are turning up to Villa Park uh, knowing that. Well, they know we're a sitting duck, and the, you know three 0 down. It was. I'm sure it's the same for Dan in the lower hole, but up by me in the, the upper, it was absolutely toxic. Everybody went home from the lower hole. I can, I can tell you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, everyone, and everyone in the upper was fighting amongst themselves. Yeah. Again, it's like Wembley all over again. There was a lot of Sheffield, well, I say a lot, there was a, a few Sheffield United fans in, in, the, in the lower halt as yeah. well who were ejected. Yeah, yeah, there's five or six well, pockets. I saw that in where the first the, half. Yeah, normally the stewards can throw them there, but it required the, the police a few times. Because there was, there was a few, uh, let's say, pockets of empty seats you know, dotted around the lower halt, the Trinity mm. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all the huge ways that the upper Trinity was. was yeah, I think the, the the kids for the quid certainly yeah. didn't work. Although it is on a school night, so to speak. We'll uh, we'll wrap this up because we're going to go into the previously recorded Where Were You When We Were Good, which uh, features, uh, as we said at the top of the show, the uh, FA Cup game against Reading uh, under O'Neill when we were 2-0 down and uh, turned it around to win 4-2, including a John Carew uh, hat trick. But just before we uh, go into that, I can't take any more this uh, under the lights, under the lights. Come and see Villa under the lights. There's no better thing. It's like, is this how low we've we've come? We we are now celebrating. We have electricity or something. Listen, it's it's kind of like think of it like this. It's it's we're under the lights of like a, a Toby Carvery b- buffet, aren't we? Really, that it's just sort of you know it's going to be disappointing, but you keep coming back. It's slowly going, <laughs> it's slowly off. congealing because I, I, but it's a weird. It's not exactly like a sunset <laughs> over like Sydney Harbour, is it? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not I've said sunset. this previously you know when the club are advertising is you know this is their hook to get you in this romanticism of under the lights this all came from European nights and I'm sorry but there's a big word missing well two words European nights is missing from under the lights they got it used to be there's nothing like European nights at Villa Park and they're like oh we don't get them anymore what can we replace those two words with under the lights <laughs> and the recent ones we did have were bloody awful anyway <laughs> Oh dear! Oh. <laughs> I, remember, I, remember the, I remember those Europa League games. The ground was half empty, and the game. I think this. Dreadful. Hang on a minute. Hang on. We're using heard. words like dreadful and stuff like that. I think it's now time to segue into where were you when we were good? Howard's corner. Mills is up from the back. Oh, and it's there. 
It's Shane Long. The man who got the winner at Anfield against Liverpool in the third round. Scores against another Premier League club here. Never release Kebe here down the right-hand side. Look at the pace. And he's pulled it back brilliantly. Oh, that's a lovely goal. You have to give them credit. What a well-worked counter-attacking goal. And Shane Long has his second of the afternoon. Milner into the penalty area. Bertrand got a foot to it. And he's only given possession straight back to Villa. Promising early on in the second half here. John Carew. Quayle with a shot. Ashley Young. And they've got one back. A vital goal for Aston Villa. Down it. Needs a telling cross. Oh, what a good cross it is. And there's the equalising goal. What a turnaround. It's John Carew. What a response. Urged on by the travelling support. Ashley Young now. Overlapping run from Stephen Warnock. More lovely football from Villa. Oh, and there's the third. Incredible. John Carew's second of the afternoon. And Aston Villa, in the space of 11 minutes at the start of this second half, have turned this game completely on its head. We're into added on time now. Only Carew in the middle. Downing on the edge of the area. Milner wasting away a few seconds, and now it's into John Carew. Oh, and that's a penalty. John Carew on a hat-trick. And Villa are going back to Wembley. Reading 2, Aston Villa 4. Right, so what were your memories of that game? I just remember being deflated at half-time. This is, this is one of those games where you're playing lower league opposition. Ladies and gentlemen, we used to be in the Premier League when this game took place. This is up there with the game, like the Tramier Rovers game, where we were 3-1 down in the first leg. And you think Villa have just fucked up a great, great chance here of getting to the final or getting to Wembley. This is another, obviously, the prize of beating Reading would be to go to Wembley. And then the game that transpired after under Lambert, where we were 3-1 down against Bradford after the first leg. And obviously the prize again was Wembley and uh, we came up short in the in the second leg. So half time, 2-0 down. I'm feeling the same way that Villa have blown a great opportunity to go to Wembley. And of course, we'd already been there and lost against United. So this was a chance to potentially... Uh, make good on that but cast your mind back gentlemen can you remember distinctly remember being 2-0 down against Reading I can I mean you know in years to come it would transpire that Shane Long would always score <laughs> against us but yeah. in, his, you know, in his time at Reading he was quite a lively young striker and I think it was our usual defensive howlers when you look back at that game uh, and, you, and you see what happened and they could have been 3-0 up yeah, I mean, I think at the time Reading were a reasonable side, weren't they? They had a young Ryan Bertrand, they had obviously Shane Long, Gilfie Sigurdsson, they had some reasonably good players at that. Yeah, but we had Emil Heskey. We looked down the Villa side on the day. We did. We had Heskey and Carew leading the line <laughs> that day. Brad Friedel in goal. The the young Brad Friedel then wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, the marginally younger. Yeah. I can see. <laughs> oh dear. This was like the staple Martin O'Neill team that we kind of uh, remember. Yeah, it was a strong side. You've got the Downing, Young, Carew. I think Gabby came on, didn't he? I think he did, yeah. And obviously Milner was playing as well. You had Stephen Warnock when he was in in and amongst the England squad. Collins and... Gabby kind of came on and, and helped turn the game, I think. Did he come at halftime? I can't remember exactly when he came on. But he's, he's in all the highlights of the goals, so... Uh... Yeah. I think, you know, we got the we got the one goal back 
literally just after half time and that kind of set the ball rolling. It was quite an archetypal uh, Ashley Young finish as well, one of those ones where he's sort of creeping in on the on the far post. And he you almost think, oh, he's just gonna stab it in, but he always had that nice way of maybe he still does, I don't know, of, of lashing it high into the net. You know, those sort of shots that um, you, yeah. you don't see Villa yeah. play you know, like confidence of of absolutely knowing you're gonna strike it into the roof of the net. And, that was that's my memory. This is a problem with some of the Villa's best players, uh, Ashley Young and Dwight York, for example. They end up going to United, and when they go to United, they're just deleted from all <laughs> records and memories, uh, fond memories. You just can't bring yourself to uh, celebrate them. But Ashley Young was was you know fantastic ah, for Villa, and yeah. a lot of the time carried this team because sometimes it wasn't this. The halcyon days, certainly in terms of football under Martin O'Neill, we were very much built for the counter. Do you know what I always Lots think about, we were, we were uh, about this we? group of players is that the Ashley Young, I do think, you know, it's like those players that went on and like Gabby, Gabby obviously stayed with us and, until his uh, inverted yeah. commas retirement. Ashley Young was, you know, head and shoulders. And funny watching back the, the Reading highlights, you know, I remembered the game and the score and roughly what happened. But you look at players like Downing, who Downing was never going to become an Ashley Young, was he? He was well. You look at the team. I mean, you look at the team starting lineup. There's only two players that went on to better themselves from that Martin O'Neill that team, and that was Ashley Young and James mm, Milner. Mm. The rest did not. Even I suppose James Collins went back to West Ham, but you know who the fuck are West Ham? <laughs> Villa were top six, so none of those players, apart from Milner and Young, went on to better mm. things. So that suggests uh, what? What does that suggest? Well, it says a couple of things to me that we, I mean, we massively overspent, and that that you know, you yeah, know how that, I feel about Martin O'Neill. You look at your Warnocks, you look at the fast wages spent on the Duns, and uh, yeah. Carlos Coelho, a big big fee, nice of this big world. fee as well. You know, no no future proofing with the likes of Friedel. Yeah. Uh, and and actually looking at the taking the Reading game which we, we're talking about is we had no natural replacement for a Carew and Carew was one of those players who probably flattered to deceive to a, to a degree at the top level in, at the best part of his career but it was the kind of player that Villa could attract and you look at the types of goals that he scored in the Reading game and you know how couldn't we coax that more consistently out of a player like him future proving mm. when you look at that Reading team and you look at the Villa mm. team from that point. If you were selling those players now, you would make more money with the with the Reading starting eleven, wouldn't you? Well, remarkably, oh, with, so. yeah, with lots of Sigurdsson and Bertram, yeah. Mm. I mean, obviously not at the ages they are now, but if they're at the ages that they are, as we'll, you yeah, know, no, I understand that, what you mean, yeah. So yeah, well, it's that was the last stand of Martin O'Neill. Uh, obviously, a few months later, he was walking out uh, days before the uh, the next season would kick off, and that that was the frustrating thing because. It obviously done the dirty, but taking out the personality was. This is a Villa team that had got kind of close to what Brian Little had done, but he'd actually won a cup and got us to the semis. Well, uh, Martin O'Neill had obviously we were finalists in the League Cup this time round, got into the semi again. Really, we were in that game against Chelsea uh, for the first half hour, well, the first hour or so until John Terry uh, tried to cut James Milner in half. And uh, then obviously the goals started to uh, roll in. But you still thought we could kick on going. It was that March month, wasn't it, where Villa's season just absolutely fell apart. And after following that Reading game, I think we went to Chelsea and got absolutely torn to pieces, lost to them in the semi-final. And the whole season just sort of... I mean, we finished six points off Spurs who were in fourth place. 
and you looked at some of the points that we. I mean, we lost the last two games. Uh, I remember the last game of the season was against Blackburn, so they're six points straight away, and we were six points off. And we, you know, we drew against Wolves and Stoke, and you know, when we were supposedly at the height of our powers, we did drop some uh, pretty poor points, and that was because I don't think we did that have that expansive game. We really struggled at home to you know get anything more than a draw most of the time because most of our success was away from home because we were really built for the counter solid in defense and uh, pace to burn up front i mean you look at that team and what the villa team plays like now and you look at a player like uh, an abraham how he would have slotted in or how like someone like a jack Grealish would have slotted into that midfield would have been really good at that time or even though we got Darren Bent the season later, Bent arrived maybe six months Well, the, that was the late. uncomfortable truth, though, Neil, though, was he, he never fancied a player like that. And I think even, you know, this is why Julio ended up going out and buying a Bent, is because that, that you know, for, for £10 million more, by the way, was because that O'Neill fancied Harewood more in the moment or Heskey more in the moment. And I don't know, when you actually look at the cumulative spend of O'Neill, it never made sense to me that he would go, well, do you know what, we'll... I'll be a bit more conservative here. It's almost like he wanted more players. He would sacrifice the fee over and then and where we really were hamstrung then was wages because we had so many players. Habby Bay, Shorey. five million for Marlon Howard. Sidwell, Zap Knight, the list is endless. Yeah, and I think the double deal when he got in when he did a crew swap with Barros and also got in Ashley Young, that was probably his best best move that he ever made and after pretty much every other transfer is uh there's question marks over it mm. and of course letting uh one gary cahill leave as well yeah mm. but in terms of everybody looks back to that period now especially younger fans who were let's say were, were kids around that time and they look at it as some kind of uh glory mm. years of finished sick three times on the trot i remember being kind of as as frustrated then as I am now, probably not as. Uh, I, th- I think it was a, an era where it re- it really felt like we'd hit a glass ceiling. Didn't yeah, it? and and there was that, and it was that frustration where you just you knew Neil just didn't have it in him. When we played United at Wembley, you just knew that Ferguson was going to do him in the end, and and that wasn't a, that wasn't a great United team compared to ones that we'd actually beaten at Wembley. You know, in ninety four. I was about to say that the the thing this is what separates truly great managers is that uh, you know we've we've you know there's, there's been a standalone podcast on this but he he crops up over the many that we've done is figures like Ron Atkinson that they in the moment you know he 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 outthought Ferguson you know yeah. and that's not to say he was a better manager overall you know there's no no dispute that Ferguson was a fantastic manager but on over 90 minutes over you know tactically and and man management and this is this is the difference between I and this is why I think Villa never elevated themselves out of that top six thing is that the uncomfortable truth was O'Neill had never set us up to be that and as long as he was manager of Aston Villa Football Club O'Neill was the biggest ego as well yeah my defining moment uh, was we were like we were ahead of Arsenal and I think we had about five points on them. This is like around Christmas, January. O'Neill went out and bought Emil mm. Heskey, and uh, Wenger went out and got a Shavin. Mm. And I think a Shavin did he, did he score five goals? Baby faced assassin. No, that was Solshai. Yeah, our Shavin was the other one. Yeah, he had a baby face. Oh, that's going to annoy me. He was a, he was a you know a good player when he wanted to be, but it was that thing of with Villa as on so many occasions in the modern history. 
of real opportunities missed because of a lack of that real killer instinct to go, yeah, let's Absolutely. let's go the extra yard, let's let's really go for broken. Yeah, I mean, essentially, Shavin scored more goals in one game than I think Heskey did that oh, yeah. season. And yeah, no, it's uh, you kind of look back at regret, but I mean, at least Martin O'Neill had Villa at the top table where we should be, challenging for Europe, getting into Europe, and also getting into cup finals and semi finals, and. I, while, while you know nobody's entitled to anything, that is where you should be pitching up and, and fighting and scrapping. Even if you come short, at least you're in the conversation. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you, it's another depressing look at really how how far the club has fallen. Yeah, you know, at that era, you, we didn't necessarily see the the billions of Man City doing what they did, or you know, when Spurs really pushed on. Uh, but it just shows that with the right investment, where Villa could should maybe. Definitely could have been. Oh, would you swap today for those six, six, six years of Martin O'Neill? No, nope. well, it doesn't matter because we're going to play him in a couple of weeks. <laughs> so we can, <laughs> we can truly relive it all. Yeah, we we could just switch allegiances and go and support uh, Nottingham Forest to relive those Martin O'Neill years. A two-time European champion, a proper club, <laughs> proper club, proper history, <laughs> and they play by the river, which just yeah. sounds cool. Instead of under the lights, we could play by the river. <laughs> play by the river. <laughs> under the <Exactly>. river. <laughs> on the quayside. Uh. Back in the good old days, the away team, for example, my United supporting dad would tell me this story. Uh, when United were kind of known uh, for their travelling fans, I think they would let the away fans out early at the city ground. I think this is going back to the 70s. So United fans would uh, make good use of that extra time uh, of being let out early by uh, preparing. They would all kind of line up by the uh, by the Trent. And as the Forest fans come in, they would just throw them into the Trent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, come on. Yeah, so uh, maybe we can do that. Wait for Martin O'Neill and throw him in the trench as well. Elephant never forgets. <laughs> no, walking out on our on walking out on our club and leaving it to spiral into the despair that we uh, have witnessed for the last seven or so years. Right, I think it's time to uh, head off. Uh, until next time, uh, where we will be able to talk about Dean Smith returning to Brentford. That is to be continued. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe if you're on uh, Spotify or any of the podcast apps that you use. Become a patron as well. That would be fantastic. And until next time, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Keep the faith. My old man said Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.